0: welcome to saving Grace Church located in Indiana Pennsylvania our mission at saving Grace Church is to love God love others and reach the world for Christ we hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ here at saving Grace Church. let's give her another round of applause for that. she may have been the first person in our church's history to volunteer to do this. So, most people we ask and we coax and we beg. Um, She actually contacted us and volunteered. So, thank you for doing that. If you'd like to volunteer, um, come see me. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5.
1: Matthew
0: chapter... Let's pray, and then we'll jump into Matthew 5, verses 1 through 16. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would illuminate this passage. You would um, show us many things about Jesus, our King and Savior, from this passage. So you would uh, just overwhelm us with your grace and your love. Give you everybody here this morning and watching online hope for their presence. larger in our minds um, at the end of the sermon than we are right now. And we pray you be glorified, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, we have been going through the book of Matthew, and we are continuing through the book of Matthew, and today we are beginning what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. So um, if you uh, are familiar with Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount will go from chapter 5 the whole way through chapter 7. And it's one um, long teaching by Jesus. It's actually the longest teaching discourse in the New Testament. And uh, it breaks down basically, the introduction is verses 1 through 16, which we are looking at today. The main body of teaching is 17 through chapter 7, 517, um, and then through 712, and then the conclusion is 713 through 27. So I'd encourage you to read it on your own, read the whole thing, because it. Jesus is teaching it as one teaching unit. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament at all, you'll notice what Matthew does often is he wants his Jewish readers, the Jewish Christians who were the original recipients of Matthew, he wants them to make a lot of connections from the Old Testament. And the Sermon on the Mount is no exception. So Jesus is teaching his disciples and a larger crowd from a mountain. And Matthew knows that that will... um, connect in Jewish in Jewish uh, readers' minds with Moses, that Jesus is being presented as the new Moses, the better Moses, the one, just like Moses went up Mount Sinai, came down with the law, Jesus is teaching his disciples. Uh, and, and so it's very intentional by Matthew to make those connections. And if you're familiar with the Ten Commandments and Mount Sinai, you would know that when Moses went up he, he instructs the people, the Jewish people, don't, don't come up here. If you come up here, if you even get close, you may die because of the holiness of God. And here we have the king of kings sitting among the people. So there's, there's similarities and there's differences. And one of the differences is how approachable Jesus is as he instructs people in his kingdom. <laughs> Listen to this quote by, uh, from the New King James Study Bible. That the Sermon on the Mount was not given as the way of salvation for the lost, but as the way of life for true children of God. In other words, um, as we get into it, there's going to be a lot of stuff that Jesus is calling his followers to do. In different ways, we're to, to act towards one another and to act towards the Lord. But all that flows out of a relationship with Jesus. It's not do this, this, and this, and then God will accept you. It's no trust in Jesus. And when you do, then Jesus is going to help you to live a certain way. And it's not dissimilar from the Old Testament. So when God rescued the Israelites from Egypt, he rescued them first and then gave them the law. Spiritually speaking, that's how it works for us. We are rescued spiritually. God's Spirit comes inside of us. He empowers us to live differently, to transform us from the inside out. And so this section of the Bible is a real gift to help us grow. Look at verses 1 and 2. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he told them, saying, So Jesus was common for teachers to do. He's sitting down. The disciples are there. And it's actually a much bigger crowd than just the disciples. And the reason we know that is from the context. So if you look at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says this in chapter 7, verses 28-29. 20 and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their own scribe. So Jesus was teaching not just as a mouthpiece for God, but as God himself. And he was instructing the disciples and he was instructing the prospective disciples, those who were interested in learning more about Jesus. And so there's lots in this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, for both groups. So maybe you are a follower of Jesus, there will be lots of encouragement and instruction for you. Maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're trying to figure all this out. Um, This is a great Sunday to be here. This is a great... Bible to look at. Jesus is far better, far greater, and probably far different than you think he is right now. So let's jump in. first point is this. Disciples of Jesus are citizens of the kingdom of God. Disciples of Jesus are citizens of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, that phrase is used in Matthew over it's talking about the rule and reign of God when Jesus came onto the scene being fully God and fully man he brought he inaugurated the, the rule of God heaven came to earth in a sense and Jesus will repeatedly teach about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God for example Matthew 4 17 says this from that time Jesus began to preach saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, when Jesus came to earth and God became flesh, He brought with Him a taste of heaven. His rule and reign has begun for all who trust in Him. And then, in chapter four, verse twenty-three says this: "And He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction." among the people. See, to be a disciple of Jesus, to be one who trusts in him and follows him, is to be a citizen of heaven. To be a citizen of God's rule and reign. So God's people, of every tribe, coming nation who call out to Jesus, are citizens of whatever country they were born in, but then they're citizens of something far greater, far better far more lasting, which is God's kingdom, which Jesus makes possible. And it's to give us hope, because we're going to see that Matthew, as he writes, he has a lot of um, cultural context in mind. He's aware that the people he is writing to are are under oppression, uh, specifically the oppression of Rome. And so he wants to draw their attention. No, if you trust in this one, this king, he's so different. He's so far greater than whoever is, is putting their thumb on them right now, whoever's oppressing them. Listen to what 1 Peter says Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. And then Paul says this, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, if you are a Christian, we're sojourners, we're exiles. This is not our permanent destination. We are passing through. And Jesus wants to instruct us that to be a citizen in his kingdom is far different than any earthly that exists present day or has ever existed. Keep in mind, as Matthew is writing this and as Jesus is talking, it's really only been twenty some years since since Jesus was born. Probably about twenty eight to thirty years since Jesus was born, and Jesus would know, and all the Jewish people would know that in Bethlehem at that time, Herod had all baby boys executed who were around the age of Jesus because he was afraid of the king who was promised and who had appeared. If you remember, Jesus' mom and dad took him to Egypt to protect him from Herod's wrath. Well, Herod and the Herodian dynasty has continued, and so the Roman oppression was there still. And there was threat. There was constant threat um, and the Jewish people were under Roman oppression. I mean, maybe think of modern-day North Korea, China, Russia. Um, their experience was one of constant reminders, where they looked at buildings, where they they saw stuff on the the money. They knew that there was an oppressive government over them, and so you can imagine the hope they would have to realize that our citizenship isn't here. It's elsewhere. We are going to be with God forever if we trust in Jesus Christ. And so there's a privilege and a, a with the reality of knowing where our citizenship belongs and where it doesn't belong. And so he is directing them upward and outward. And remember, we already know, we've already learned in Matthew, you'll see it as we continue in Matthew, That Jesus' ministry, he came to the lowly, the broken, the messy, over and over and over again. And he wants them to know, he wants us to know, this is what his kinship is like. He's not sequestered away in a castle and being fed grapes all the time. He is among the people. He is among the broken. He's among those that really can't help him at all. He's among those that he can give them great things and they have nothing to give. He's there because he's loving and he's compassionate. So with that in mind, we jump into these beatitudes, these blessed statements that Jesus is going to make. We're going to go kind of rapid fire. Entire books have been written on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, So we're going to just kind of, if we're a horse, riding a horse, we're going to trot. We're going to move. We're going to move pretty quickly. um, And I would encourage you to, to dive into it on Europe. So look at verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is sitting on the mountain. He's teaching. The disciples are there, and a large crowd is there. Most likely there are very needy people in the crowd. There are people that, that are very poor. There are people that are depressed. There are people that have major physical ailments. There are people that are marginalized. There are people that that maybe don't have any friends. And he's saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's this broad category. And including that broad category, maybe at the center, is blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who, who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy before the Lord, who do not trust in themselves at all for salvation, and look Jesus alone. Blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you can imagine, I wish we could see this on video, Jesus would have a smile on his face. He would be filled with joy. I have good news to tell you. Blessed are you, poor in spirit, because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Next, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus has healing words for the grieving, for those who have experienced loss, for those who have experienced the, the brokenness and heartache of the world that we live in. He also has comfort for those who are aware of their own sins and failings and shortcomings and the consequences that those decisions have brought in their own lives, in the lives of others. He's also aware of those who are just grieved by the general brokenness all around them and us. And he says to all those groups, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There's this ultimate comfort that Jesus alone can bring. When you think about all the different things that people do to find comfort that are not Jesus, so it might be um, going on just a, a just a, a quest of money, it may be going on climbing the, the ladder of success, however you define it. It may be finding relief from all the internal anguish from from what you're going through, but you, you turn to things that, that will not help you, like drugs, like prescription pain like alcohol, and you just you're trying to get at something because you hurt so bad. But Jesus is the only one who can bring you lasting comfort. He's the only one. And he's telling you to come to him. Call out to him. Listen to what Jesus says in John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, you will have trouble. But take part. I will over. I have overcome the world. We have to look to Jesus for our comfort and hope. Blessed are you who mourn. You will be comforted by the King Himself. Verse five. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the lonely. Blessed are those who are not. To be very talented, very well spoken. Blessed are the broken. See, Jesus' kingdom is totally upside down. Completely upside down. You think of any kind of government or kingdom, the only people that make it in the high positions are those who are, are high achievers. Jesus is saying to all the low achievers, come on here, to all the broken, to all the hurting, to all those who have sorrow in their heart, come in, Those who are not proud, those who are humble, those who have an accurate self-assessment. See, even for the, the super talented and gifted, if they had an accurate self-assessment, they'd know a few things. First, they know that all their talents and gifts <coughs> have come from the Lord himself who made them. And that because of simple nature, they are broken and so they don't have anything that they should be proud about so jesus is saying blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth those who are humble and lowly oh what a surprise when they die and go to meet the lord what a surprise we will have when we die and go to meet with the lord there will be a wonderful inheritance. We will be with Jesus himself. We will be immediately in God's presence. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They'll be satisfied. You know who isn't satisfied? Those who are looking for ultimate satisfaction and things that don't satisfy. So it could be friendships. It could be relationships. It could be a certain amount of money in your bank account. It could be a car. It could be whatever comes to mind that you think, if I just have this, I will be satisfied. I mean since as young as I can remember, uh, there was always something, if I just had this, I would be satisfied. Right? I, I remember in the 90s, if I just had a brand new pair of rollerblades, I would be really happy. If I just had a Jeff Pendle Santa Cruz skateboard, oh I'd be really happy. If my dad would build a half in our backyard, I would be really, really, really happy. Um I don't I don't have any. There's nothing wrong with gifts from the Lord. The problem is when we look to those things for ultimate satisfaction. Jesus alone is the one. And so when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, for what God alone has, we will be satisfied. And the sooner you learn that, the more joy filled you're going to be. There are some people who learn that very young. And they they have a rich, full life enjoying the Lord. There are sadly some who learn that really at their, their closing moments of life. And God is so merciful that he will
1: bring them into
0: his kingdom if they repent of their sins and trust in Jesus at the last hour. But they miss out on all that could have been in their relationship with the Lord and the impact they could have on the world Around them. The psalmist says it this way as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? See, we're to have this this desire, this hunger. And maybe you feel like okay, I, I don't know if I describe it as a hunger, passion right now. Think that oh yeah, Lord, give me that desire. Give me that passion. Give me that hunger for righteousness. Help me to really believe that everything my eyes see that sparkle and dazzle and distract me will not ultimately satisfy. Give me grace to really believe you're the one. So Jesus declares these blessings to the most unlikely people. He's not going to switch gears in these Beatitudes. And he wants all the disciples and those who are are in the larger crowd, and he wants us to know that if you declare Jesus as your king, he intends that you should live in a certain way, that he's going to help you to do. But we should be shockingly different in our character if we've been transformed by the king of the universe. And that's what he's going to talk about now. So look at verse 7. Citizens of God's kingdom should behave like they know the king. Citizens of God's kingdom should behave like they know the king. In other words, if you say, I'm a Christian. Jesus is my king and my Lord and my savior. If you tell somebody that who knows you really well, they shouldn't be surprised. By that. They shouldn't be like, nah, I can't believe it. Uh, when I see you, I have no idea you're a Christian. Um, I am shocked that you are a Christian. No, it should be the opposite. Before, Long before you tell somebody you're a Christian, they know you're a Christian because of the way you interact with others, because of the, the things that Jesus is going to talk about. Here. Remember, these things do not make you a Christian. But there are evidence that Jesus is your King, that the Holy Spirit has made your dead heart spiritually alive, and that the fruit of the Spirit is beginning to be produced in your life. Look at verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. If you are a citizen of God's kingdom, you should be filled with mercy towards others. And think about this. You and I opposed God in every way before we were Christians who was fully just, decided to have mercy on us. He sent a son into this world to rescue us. When we called out to him, we were the recipients of an incredible, unbelievable, unimaginable, undeserved mercy. That should come out when somebody does us wrong. When somebody says something unkind to us. When somebody treats us in a way that we weren't expecting. We we should have mercy coming out of us. If, you, if you're not like that, if you're harsh, and what comes out of you is wrath and justice, but you're a Christian, you're missing something. You're, 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 you don't have an accurate picture of who you were before a holy God and how much mercy has shown you. And as you grow in your awareness, you will then extend mercy to <coughs> Blessed are the merciful. Look at the next one. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. See, what Jesus does is he, he makes it possible for us to be changed from the inside out. The new covenant, which is what Jesus brought and Jeremiah the prophet prophesied about, one of the beauties of the new covenant is there's internal change from God's Spirit comes and takes our dead, stony heart and makes it alive, makes it soft, and so all that impure stuff, those thoughts that are sinful and pervasive and persistent at times, He begins to clean all that junk out in heart and soul and mind. Blessed are the pure in heart, so He can take something foul and make it clean, something ugly make it beautiful only Jesus can do this this is why Christianity is so awesome incredible it's not you need to get your life together and clean yourself up and follow these rules and you'll be okay no it's Jesus I am so far worse than I probably even realized and you are an incredible savior and you will rescue and you will plant and you will purify blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God as 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 Jesus begins to clean us up more and more. We, our, our vision of God becomes clearer, more accurate. We see him more, we enjoy him more. There's not barriers like there once was. It's a beautiful thing. Verse 9: Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Think about what happens when you become you, if you find out, you discover that God is the only judge, and you are the spiritual criminal that's being called to account. You are guilty as charged. There's no denying it. You admit it. You confess it. And God, the judge, instead of punishing you forever in hell, the hell that we all deserve, He says, instead of that, my son Jesus, who is fully God holy man will, will swap places with you. He will take the punishment that you deserve. And by doing that and receiving that, you and I, you, the spiritual criminal, and God, the perfect judge, will be reconciled. There will be no more relational divide. Not only that, I will now, God says, become your father. And you will be my daughter or my son. Complete and full family reconciliation. We opposed God in our sins. He opposed us in His holiness. And all that was reconciled at the cross. Peace was made. And God was the initiator. So as Christians, if you are a citizen of God's kingdom, we too should be peacemakers. We should work out our disagreements whenever That should be our heart's disposition even when it's not possible in this world. Lord, may we be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, Jesus is going to go into some detail here next about those who follow Jesus and will be persecuted. He's going to go into a great amount of depth. And the reason is he's preparing the disciples and he's preparing us. He doesn't want us to be confused when life gets harder because you have, have pledged your allegiance to Jesus. At times, life will get way harder. And Jesus wants them to know, wants us to know, there's great blessing when you're persecuted for Jesus. Look at verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted. For righteousness' sake, we're actually trying to obey and follow the Lord. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, when they just have disgust towards you for your faith, and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Blessed are you when people tell lies about you? For the mere fact that you're a Christian, that Jesus is your
1: king. Now listen to this. This is, this is
0: upside down. This is otherworldly. Rejoice and be glad. So when people lie about you, when people are going to comment, as they hear you talk about Jesus? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, you are prophets. Rejoice and be glad. There was a time in your life when you were not associated with Jesus, and you would not have been persecuted for your faith in the workplace or in your family or in your friend group. And now you're humbly walking and following Jesus, and they take shots. At you. They take shots on social media. They take shots verbally. They they whisper when you're not around. They make fun of you. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. You are a son or a daughter of the King. That is an awesome, incredible. Reality and what a privilege to be in a long line of men and women who had suffered for the name of Jesus. See, it's upside down. Jesus' kingdom, Jesus' rules, Jesus' ways are so opposite of everyone else. See, we need to find our identity, not what people think of us. How much they like us, how many people like us? The word Jesus. He's our Savior, He's our Lord, He's our So if you become the center of the target of a smear campaign because of your faith, where does that squeeze stuff inside of you? If you want to work towards what he's saying here. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Have a long term perspective. Great will be your reward. And we should be committed to praying for our brothers and sisters in, in various parts of the world where their persecution, their threat of persecution, the reality of persecution is not a verbal smear campaign. It is not what somebody will say about them on Twitter or Instagram. It is real life-threatening bodily harm. We want to pray for them. We want to ask the Lord to use them and keep their faith strong, and their reward also will be great. I'm going to read the John 16, 33 passage again. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. Take heart. I have overcome the world. I've said these things that you may have peace. We have to learn that our peace has to come from the Lord Himself, not our life, not our circumstances. If you are looking to your circumstances and your life, your life will be a wild roller coaster ride. When things are well, you'll be happy. When things are bad, you'll be down. You're just going to go like this year after year after year, and it's just going to be a gauntlet of emotions, of just dragging you all over. Compare that to those, and I I know this room has many who are in this book regularly, daily, calling out to the Lord. When when things unexpected things and news comes, they're just not as rapid. Doesn't mean they're unaffected. Doesn't mean that they're not experiencing pain, sorrow, but there's a peace underneath that that is supernatural, and it comes because they believe. Jesus is. They trust him and they look to him every day of their life. Take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. The last part of this section that often gets read separate from the Beatitudes but I believe is, is directly connected to them. is two metaphors that Jesus is going to, to point out. And probably in your Bibles there's a heading that looks like they're separate. they're actually all together. Jesus is saying these blessings, this reality of me being your king will make you to be like two things. One is salt and the other is light. Um, Last point, citizens of heaven are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Citizens of the earth of heaven are the salt of See, I think if we lived in Jesus' time, that the salt metaphor would would have more meaning than it does now. (coughs) Salt um, is a really important thing, particularly back then. It preserved food, so no refrigeration. Salt is a big deal. And it flavored everything. And so, so Jesus is using salt as a metaphor. He says, you... Believer in me, believer in Jesus, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. In other words, tasteless salt. Salt that no longer has the flavor of salt. It's useless. And Jesus is saying, Live in such a way that you are spiritually salty. there is flavor when you're among the people. There is a, a, a preserving that, that happens just by the fact that you are a Christian. So if you're a Christian college student. You have this this presence when you're in the classroom. If you're in the workplace, you 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 should be um, salt there. You should there should be a preserving. The, the workplace should be better. Because you are there. There should be a flavor that people, when, when pressed, they, they come to you for help, for hope. Um, and Jesus wants us to know: you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. See, we're we're sons and daughters of the king stand tall and be bold about that, and that should have an impact. Then he has another metaphor that I think is easier for us to get our minds around, which is we are the light of the world. Look at verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. We follow Jesus, the true light. He's like the sun in the sky, the S-U-N sun in the sky, and we're like the moon. We, we reflect Jesus. And as the light of the Lord, as those who are called to reflect Jesus, it matters how we live. Maybe you've really blown it. You feel like I've blown it as a Christian. I've hardly any light coming out. My reflection is just... You know, the beauty of being a Christian is you can confess your sins. You own them, own them in full in all their ugliness. Run to Jesus with them. He will cleanse you, and then that mark. Yeah. Of his light to shine. So we, we want to engage the culture. We want to be out and about with people. Whatever your hobbies are, whatever your interests are, whatever you do and like to do, do that with people that don't know the Lord too. It's great to be with Christians. It's But then we need to go out. And we need to be the light of the world. I am so thankful. That before I met Jesus, there were Christians that interacted with me, that spent time with me. They were careful, I'm sure, of the time of day and when they spent time with me because of things I was doing. But they went after me, they moved towards me. And I saw the light of Jesus in them. There's two in particular I remember as plain as day. If I was doing something bad, I stayed away from them. Because they were reflecting Jesus' life. That's also true. Now, if they would have just stayed hidden in a Christian bubble, secluded from the world, I may they not know Jesus today? They, they took the basket off and they went towards him humbly and wisely. That's what we want to do. Think about how many people are in this room, how many people are watching online. All the people we can interact with in just this room. I mean, maybe as just a, an exercise, start counting with everybody you interact with from today till next Sunday. Whether that's in person or social media, uh, driving by in a car, uh, wherever you go, that's a massive number. If you put it all together, we have great opportunity to reflect the light of Jesus. Jesus said this about himself in John eight. He said, "I am the light of the world." Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So as we look at all this as a whole, and we listen to the words of Jesus, blessed are you. Jesus is your king. Blessed are you. We're going to sing a final song that's called Better is One Day. And it's going to recall your your previous life and your present reality. Letters, there's hundreds of more than thousands and thousands elsewhere. Let me pray for us. The band could come up and if you would all stand. please. Lord Jesus, thank you that your kingdom is an upside down kingdom. Thank you that you are gracious merciful. Holy Spirit, thank you that you've been able and empower us to do these things that may feel, seen. Holy Spirit, we ask that anyone watching or in the room that has not yet called out to you to do so today, and your incredible love, your overwhelming your love, your mercy, your salvation—we give you all the praise for that. Lord, as we sing this this song, Lord, remind us of our lives. For knowing you now we pray, you? and Lord holy Spirit we pray for this prayer walk this afternoon that you would surprise us with the presence the power, and you would um, work in such a way that it would be different because we've be taking time to pray and to see you spread up for the campus and for the town, and we thank you for how you're at work at IT we pray your light will just be to shine for all the for students and faculty and staff, and we praise you. We